0: Good evening. What's the difference between you and an animal? you. I mean, what 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 is the difference between you and an animal? I mean, that's it's not a bad question. It's actually one that I think we ought to be able to answer theologically, scientifically, and certainly when you think about school and the. Teaching of biology or the study of life, the, um, most science will teach you that we are the human animal, that we are just a different species or a different variation of animal, that we are a more evolved animal. So when we say that well, you are a human versus an animal, what is it about you that differentiates humanness? from being an animal. Okay, we have a, we have a soul, all right? We're made, there. We were made in the image of God. The only thing that is declared to be made in the image of God is humanity, nothing else. So one of the reasons um, we're in hunting season right now, and I, I laugh every time, I, um, I was just, talking with a friend about how it's kind of one of the strange things that happens as your children grow older. It's tougher because you kind of, you see the end of something, you know, you see the end of things and beginning of others, but but we hunt, um, and, and my, my son, from the time he was little, he loved it, and so we kind of took off with it, and um, and I was trying to have this conversation. He was probably about six or seven, and so I was telling him about hunting, and he has a, uh, he had He has a family member that means it's not on my side he has a family mineral um, that you would call um, that it would be what you would call very liberal like as far as especially when it comes to hunting and we shouldn't be killing the animals and all things that go with that so we and I are having a conversation about the bible and God creating the animals and that he gave the he gave man dominion over the creatures and one of the reasons that um that i'm not vegan and pray to god that i never get cursed with that is that he gave us meat he gave us that and so i'm trying to have this this explanation so one of the first deer he shot he comes in the house and he tells his mother i have dominion over this deer and i could and i don't know if he's I don't know if he'd ever quoted anything I'd said, but he remembered that he had dominion over that, and and, and I can remember that, and I've thought about that over the years, what it looks like to have dominion. Well, we have dominion because as we are in the image of God, nothing else is in the image of God. So if we are in the image of God, then the next question should be, what does that mean? What is it about you as a human being that is an image bearer how what is different about us what do we have that's different than the animals what is what is different about us what do we bear when we talk about the image of God what is that the first question on your sheet tonight um, and last week we talked about wisdom and and this is almost a wisdom part two talking about God's wisdom and ours and how how that we are to understand wisdom and desire wisdom And you see that there's a question, what is the difference between an incommunicable attribute of God and a communicable attribute of God? Now those are big theological terms, so an incommunicable attribute and a communicable attribute. (coughs) Well, before we even jump into it, if you just look at the words, if something is communicable or able to communicate, incommunicable, unable to communicate. So God has what theologians call incommunicable attributes, and those are things that are defined like God's transcendence, the things that only God has that makes God different from everything else in all of existence. So when we say that God is independent, that God is immutable or changeless, that God um, is infinite in time, when we talk about Um, that God, anything, any attribute that God alone has that is incommunicable, meaning that that is not communicated or shared with any other being. When we say that God has communicable attributes, what does that mean? Those are the things that when we say we are made in the image of God, which is the second question, that's the the parts that are placed in demand. Now, we have to remember that there are, in in the Bible, when you read about creation, there is a marked difference in man pre-Genesis chapter 3 and man post-Genesis chapter 3. Because pre-Genesis chapter 3, we are reading about Adam and Eve, and we're reading about them in the Garden of Eden, and we're reading about them pre-fall. So when God created man in his own image, he communicated certain attributes of himself. Freedom, power, goodness, righteousness, holiness. Man then bore all of those things that God also had. Man did not have every one of God's incommunicable attributes, but he had all of these communicable attributes. And then we read about the fall. What happened during the fall? obviously the perfection of those attributes that we shared with God, like righteousness and like holiness and our ability to converse with God, those were marred in the fall. So now what we read about in the whole rest of scripture is the redemption story or the story of God restoring to man what he originally desired them to be as image bearers. So because of the fall, now even though I still bear the image of God, that image is inherently flawed, right? Because we have now sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So to be made in God's image is that how God made us and communicated certain of His attributes that we shared with the Lord. So now that, that we know that God is all-wise, we seek wisdom. Now, when we're trying to understand how do we seek wisdom, we need to define what that looks like versus what the world describes as wisdom. When we talked about wisdom last week, we had to understand what it is that we're hoping to achieve when we say that someone is wise. So if you're looking for a synonym for wisdom, often people will use a term like knowledge. Is knowledge or knowledge and wisdom synonymous? Now, you can't have wisdom without knowledge, right? But you can have knowledge without wisdom. Everybody kind of follow me on that? So that's a, a basic logic problem that we've got. So what is the difference then in someone who is wise versus someone who may be intelligent? application. I heard the word application and also heard the word discernment. Those are two words you can't knowledge and knowledge and wisdom um, are separated by the ability to apply that knowledge or discern that knowledge. So then we have to ask the question, if we believe that God is all wise and God communicates his attributes to us, is there a possibility of finding wisdom without finding God? Can one be, in our theological understanding, can you be wise without a knowledge of God? What we know that the Bible teaches over and over again, Um, first of all, Proverbs Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So, what we're looking at in the, the, the world in which we live is the denial of, of God, the denial of the morality of God, the, den- the denial of the order of creation of the Lord. What we see is the downfall, all the woke enterprises that we see, the things that we see falling down from academia is obviously you have people that have a lot of knowledge and have a lot of intellect, But when you divorce knowledge from God, you end up with what we are seeing play out not only on university campuses, but even in small town communities like the ones we have because it filters down. Sometimes it takes decades. And so what we're actually reaping the harvest of now is much of what started in the 60s and 70s took root with students. And now we're seeing that play out with An absence of the wisdom of God because of the absence of the recognition or the fear of God. So, if someone then wanted to to lay hold of of biblical wisdom or the gift of wisdom, the first step that the Bible says that we must have is that you have to learn to reverence God or you have to learn to fear God. We talked about that some last week. So, this is more of just a, a reminder. You cannot have. Biblical wisdom without fear of God. Fear of God is simply a reverence for God of recognizing the magnitude of who God is and the smallness of who you are. Did anybody, and my mother may have been the only one that used this expression, but I heard a lot growing up. Mister, I think you're getting a little big for your britches. That was. My mom liked that one, um, and I heard that a lot. And that kind of meant that I had was obviously had pushed the envelope a little too far. I had probably run off at the mouth a little more than I should have, and, and I, 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 I perfectly understood what that meant. I thought about that this week because I can kind of hear, hear her voice sometimes. Um, God uses different things, and I still hear that sometimes in my mind and in my heart. But a lot of times now, it's like her voice, but it's applying a lot of times to my own relationship with the Lord because I feel like sometimes that's exactly how I am with the Lord. When we don't allow ourselves to be small in front of the magnitude of God, we can get too big for our britches without realizing that part of that is we lack a humility before the Lord. We lack an understanding of His grandeur and our inability And so, as we're trying to understand wisdom in just a moment, we learn that it's a reverence for God, and then the willingness to receive the Word of God. Um, This coming Sunday, I'm excited, Colossians 3.16, it tells us that we are to allow the Word of Christ to dwell richly in us. It is impossible to have wisdom without having knowledge. You cannot have knowledge if you ignore the very source of that knowledge, which is the Word of God. So there's a lot of people that are, in my mind, very presumptuous in their prayer life because they will pray things like, oh, God, give me wisdom to face the day tomorrow. Yet that same person spends no time in the Word of God. And it's as if God has said, I have given you the wisdom you need to face tomorrow, but you're not seeking that wisdom, but you're wanting me to give it to you magically, that God's going to somehow just impart this wisdom to you without you learning, discerning, reading, seeking. And so a reverence for God combined with a reception of the word of God are, are two of the steps. But to understand what it is we're seeking, if you do bow your head and you say, Lord, give me the wisdom to face tomorrow, what will we really pray? And so to help us with that, the fourth question on your sheet asks, what does having the gift of wisdom not mean? What does it not mean? And I guess as I've gotten older, not only in my own personal life, but I'm getting increasingly okay with this and pastoring people. Because I get, as you can imagine, you get a lot of them too, all kinds of questions. Some of them, good people say there's no such thing as stupid questions. I promise you, there is such thing as stupid questions, all right? But you get them from all ranges. You get really good questions. You get some stupid questions. You get all along the way. But what I, there's a commonality sometimes that I see people, the, the biggest questions sometimes they have is And I think this kind of highlights our misunderstanding of what wisdom is, that if you knew the Lord better, if you had a closer walk with the Lord, if you were more biblically wise, then people think, and that's why sometimes they come to a pastor because they think, well, because of what he does, he would be these things, so he would automatically know why all these things happen. So what biblical wisdom is not is knowing why everything happens, knowing what God's purposes were, why God allowed this to happen, why God caused this to happen, why this happened and why this didn't happen. That is not biblical wisdom. I, I want to give you a homework exercise besides the book. I want you to, get the, I want you to read the book of Ecclesiastes. But here's how I want you to read the book of Ecclesiastes. I want you to read it all at one time. The reason that people don't understand the book of Ecclesiastes is because they try to read it in little chunks. And it doesn't make sense because Ecclesiastes is inductive versus deductive. All right, now just follow me on this. When you write a thesis paper or just if you've ever been to church here on Sundays, 99 times out of 100, the sermons that I preach are deductive. And what I mean is we start off and I always put a big idea on the screen. So here's my big idea. Now let me show you from the text and prove the thesis or prove the big idea. And we walk through the text. Inductive is instead of starting with the big idea, you never announce it. But you lead up to that big idea with all of the reasoning that flows from it. So it's almost kind of like when you read a, a book, like a mystery. A mystery would be terrible if the intro to the story said, This is who's gonna, this is how it's gonna end, this is who the killer was, now enjoy the story. Nobody'd read that. It'd be awful. So you're reading to get to the conclusion. Does that make sense? Ecclesiastes doesn't start off and tell you what the end is, you're building to it. So you start reading Ecclesiastes, and what do you read? In the King James, it's vanity of vanities, or and, and i meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Well, if that's the big idea, this is a depressing book, right? So we, we've got to try to understand that, and we're going to get back to that in, in just a minute, but understanding what wisdom is not is wisdom is not finding every secret purpose or every unusual thing. And I I don't know where we've gotten to as a society, or especially in Christian culture, I see a lot of churches that are sick because they have elevated people that come up with the most outlandish things and made them, given them leadership roles. Because people will say that they had this thought and they connected this and they they heard this and so god must have meant that by it and they had a vision or they had a dream and you know what i had a dream the other day and this was this this was a dream i had this week i'm just being honest i told y'all i'm weird i got invited to speak somewhere and i showed up it was like and so i walked in and i thought it was going to be like an auditorium like normal but i was in somebody's house and i was like why am i at somebody's house but for whatever reason, I brought a beanbag chair with me, and I've got it. And everybody wants to know why I brought this beanbag chair, but I don't know why I brought the beanbag chair. But in my dream, I'm very defensive about it. Like I don't—I want everybody to quit asking me. But for whatever reason, I won't put it down. And I woke up, and you can't help but you're like, "What? I don't—we don't even own a bean." Like I don't—I don't even remember the last time I saw a beanbag chair. But what we have gotten to in society is somebody will say something like that and then they'll say, but you know, I thought about it. And after thinking about it, I think the beanbag chair represents how God wants to envelop you with his presence. And by enveloping you with his presence, he wants you to know that you can be comfortable in him. That didn't mean that. I had a weird dream about a beanbag chair. You see, And I'm pointing that out to you because if we elevate people that try to come up with trying to find symbolism and this strange spiritual meanings, and sometimes you think, boy, they must be an incredible Christian because I would have never come up with that. You shouldn't have ever come up with some of that because it's not what it means. But we have people that would rather elevate wisdom to these weird experiences then they had actually somebody who was taking actual Bible text and applying it to real-life situations. Somebody that is biblically wise is not somebody who can ride down the road and see a cloud formation and begin wondering if it's a scene out of Revelation. Real biblical wisdom is you are in a conversation, you are with somebody, you have a a, there's a circumstance that comes to mind and biblically your worldview is affected enough that the way you act behave and think is formed by the knowledge of God through his word that's biblical wisdom I've gotten to where I am so tired of elevating the weird to super and giving it a supernatural quality that I finally have, have have gotten to a point where i think we have to be when we say discerning we got to be more discerning about some of that and how we ingest it so what does it mean then no, what does it not mean so what does what does it mean for god to give us wisdom all right this is and i like the way packer makes kind of parallels these things especially because it's been in my own life um I've kind of shared with y'all before it's just y'all unfortunately y'all are victims sometimes of my examples because it's just what i'm living through um but because i've got a 15 year old and a 14 year old driving is on the brain and so um and it's amazing how two i've told you this any of you that have more than one child i don't understand it i do not know how genetically two human beings that came from the same two human beings that grew up in the same home are this different so so we're trying to teach driving right now and and god love her, my daughter cautious is not the word i'm talking about the 10 and 2 kid like where you're like out on the highway and you cannot see like the car is so far in the distance you don't know what color it is and you're going we need we can go well there's a car Well, if we're going to wait on that car you're going to be collecting social security before we ever get to the dmv like and we're on 98 like trying to get from summit to my house out 98 and she's driving and we are going 36 miles an hour and i said baby they're going to kill us like they they are literally going to kill us like i'm not wanting you to speed but we've got to go 50 like we have to go 50 or they're going to kill us all and And so, and then, so the other day I thought, okay, when my son gets to be 15 and he's got, I want to be ahead of this curve. Like I want to kind of have, I I think I should have, we should have done a little bit more. You got the whole year to learn, but I'm kind of like, I probably, this is on me. I should have, we should have been doing more before we turned 15. So I wouldn't be living through whatever this is right now. So my son the other day, he's 14, and I'm like, you're going to start driving, Jack. So he's been driving some. So I've always let him drive, you know, for off-road or hunting or whatever. So the other day, and, it, and I'll tell you the road. I'll come down 98, and I take a right um, right there by Magnolia Electric. Robert Jones Road come, comes in right there, and I pulled, and I said, all right, wrap us it'll wrap all the way back around to 98 and when you get back to 98 you make a circle and we'll wrap all kind of just a big country loop let's go he jumps in the truck scoots the seat up puts his seatbelt on <laughs> throws it in dried and we take off and when i say take off there's a concrete bridge on robert jones road I think we caught air in my F-150. I look down and we are going 53 miles an hour. Whoa. <laughs> never checks. It. it doesn't seem to be bothering you. So I'm, I'm like, "Hey man, you need to like this is a residential like like bring it bring it down." And he and he was like, "What's the speed limit?" And then I'm about to lose. It. I'm like. I told you, I don't care what this, I told you to slow down, you know. And so I'm having these flashbacks, and I'm like, I'm failing here. And so with you know, what does that have to do with anything? Nothing, I just wanted to tell you all that story. No, it, 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 it really does have something to do with it. Because when we're teaching somebody to drive, if one of them gets behind the wheel and they say, why do you think they decided to make this road this width? I don't know, drive. Stay in the right-hand side of the lane and drive. Why do you think that when they cut this road that this curve is at this angle and why didn't they kind of take more land and make this, I, I don't know, drive? Like, look at what you're doing. Quit asking me questions about all of that and pay attention, look ahead. Why do you think when they came to this stop sign, I don't know, stop at the stop sign, stop at the stop sign? Well, you say, what does that have to do with biblical wisdom? It has everything to do. Biblical wisdom is a lot like driving, it's how you react to the real things that happen in your life real relationships, real people, real temptations. Biblical wisdom is not sitting around in a philosophy class talking about. I wonder what the purpose of this and why this happened and what if this hadn't happened I don't know drive I don't know drive biblical wisdom is understanding that it's not about understanding everything about the ways of God it's understanding what God has told you to do in the specific the specifics of your life and then acting on it that's what it looks like for God to give us wisdom so then we're back to the book of Ecclesiastes then. When, when I challenge you to read that, if you start in Ecclesiastes, and, and obviously we don't have time for me to, to, to walk through the entire book, but if you start reading it, I'm, give yourself a block of time. It's not that long, 12th chapter. Just read through it. Because if you don't, you're going to get really depressed because it's depressing. Because he starts off, and if it was deductive. Then the main point is everything is meaningless, and then he proves that point. Knowledge is meaningless. Wealth is meaningless. Pleasure is meaningless. It's all meaningless. And then he then takes his subpoints, and he, all of his examples prove his subpoints. And he's basically saying, "I've had it all. I've done it all." This is, I believe, that that's from Solomon. From This Koheleth, who is the teacher, who is, it's like a sermon to an individual, like an older man telling a younger man, I've lived an entire life, now this is what I've gleaned from that, and he's telling him, I've done it all, it's like the old man that says, hey son, anything you've ever done, anywhere you've ever been, any experience you've ever, I've been there and done that. One of the things I'm learning about teenagers is they don't believe that. Like, they really don't believe that you've had any of the same temptations, that you've done any of the same things, that you've had any of the same problems, and and I look back, and so I I, I was kind of, I had, I was having that conversation with my own mother the other day, kind of had one of those, like, you know, like, we're, not a a pity party, just kind of going, well, you know, these teenagers, and she said, you did not speak to me from the age of 13 to 17. She said, I don't mean that you didn't say hello, but you you were in your own like that was not like you you went into it you became a and then all of a sudden something kind of turned around again and things changed and then the relationship began to change a little bit with that and and I was thinking about that when when she was when when she was kind of reminding me of that and I realized that maybe one day maybe one day somebody's going to look at me and say you aren't as stupid as I thought you were, because when we say I've been there and I've done that, like if you got a relationship problem, I know you don't think I know anything, but I've had a relationship, like I'm, I'm married, like I've you know had that before. You have a temptation, you have a problem, have an issue with friends. Your mom and I probably know more about it than you're giving us credit for. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is him saying. I've been there and done that. I'm a guy, this is a guy that had 900 wives. He was the richest man in the world. He was also, the Bible says, had more the, 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 the wisest man in the world. So if anybody could say on the authority of experience, I've been there and done that, it was Solomon. And so you read this and you're like, this is meaningless. Knowledge is meaningless. Books and learning those are meaningless. Pleasure is meaningless. And if you're not careful, you can misunderstand. He's not ultimately saying that there's no value in any of those things. He's saying that if you're looking for the ultimate value in any of those things, you're not going to find it. Like pleasure. You can seek pleasure all you want to, but it's an empty pit. You you can't get enough. Books and learning. Obviously, the, the Bible's not against knowledge, but if you think that that is going to provide you ultimate pleasure, there's not enough books. Spe- in our day, it's even easier to illustrate. You, you can't even get to the end of the news cycle. You 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 can't even, You we don't even feel like we know what happened today most of the time because it's just constant going and going and going. And, and, and he's making the point like relationships. Like when you really look at that, if you're trying to fill up your life with other people, this is a guy that had a thousand wives, the, the most beautiful woman in the world. He, he, he he knew what that was and so he gets goes through all of these things and then he gets to the to the very end he gets to the very end of the book and you if you're like me you kind of cheat like you're kind of looking ahead like how much longer do I have before I get to the end of this book like is this are we going to reach a conclusion and then we get to the very end of the book And if you get to chapter 12, you get all the way to the end of the book, what then does he say is the meaning of life? Now, I want to remind you that when you get to verse 8, he summarizes, he goes back to his original point, vanity of vanities or meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And then you get to the very end, the last few paragraphs, And he says this in verse 12. Now all has been heard and here is the conclusion of the matter. Remember it's inductive. He's waiting to make his point till the very end. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it is good or whether it is evil. So at the end of it He's saying, not only does God know what he's doing, but if everything else you do isn't cloaked in the fear of God and the desire to be obedient to God, then none of the rest of this are you going to find to be anything but vanity. You know that because we see it all the time. We see it with professional athletes that you would think would have everything that they could possibly ever want. They're miserable. And we, we hear about People have reached all levels of fame, and they've committed suicide, and we find ourselves going, why is that? And it's because somewhere along the way, they confused being able to find the ultimate purpose in life in any of those things. So now we get back to the wisdom thing, that what real wisdom is, is knowing how to drive, not necessarily understanding why every road was built the way that it was built now if we get back to that why has God been hidden from us almost all of his providential purposes almost everything God has hidden. in other words we know a few things why God did it more things do we not know why than we do know why and it's one of the reasons I'm increasingly okay I told you not only in my own personal life but looking at people and going I don't know I had a conversation here with somebody last week. I don't know. And I'm not being a smart aleck. That is the best answer I know to give you. I don't know. The Bible doesn't speak clearly to that. I don't know why. And some people will say, well, you'll understand in the sweet by and by. I don't know if I will or not. I, I don't know that how that is, is going to come to fruition. But what I know is, is that if we trust God, if we trust God in faith, it's not that he is then going to explain all of his ways. It's that even though I don't understand all of his ways, I haven't neglected faith or faithfulness, and then I'm not pursuing a knowledge I was never meant to have. And, and this is the best way I know to explain it to you. Have any of you ever been to a lecture, and almost immediately you knew you weren't smart enough to follow one maybe it was about a subject that you're just not well versed in you know and, and you go and the person starts talking and you don't want to look ignorant so you go hmm. and you don't know the word you' you're, you're realizing I need to get out of here because this makes no sense to me I've had that experience tons of times in my life either people speaking over my head or I didn't I, I needed to. I didn't even know how much I didn't know I needed to I needed to find out something just so I could know I needed to learn something to know anything. And I feel like a lot of times I'm reminded of that in my dealings with the Lord because I'm recognizing that let's say that I wanted to challenge God, kind of like what happened in Job. If you want to read Ecclesiastes and Job together, that'd be a great practice for you. But for Job, even though he was blameless and upright, he did get pretty bristled with the Lord about why everything was happening to him. And then we get to the end of Job in Job 38, and God has been silent through the whole book until he's not. And when God thunders down, his whole point is, since you're so smart, why don't you explain to me how it is that I make the sun rise and fall? Why don't you explain to me how the eagles take flight? Why don't you explain to me where the mountain goats have their babies? Why don't you explain? And it's just this over and over and over again, basically helping him to see there's so much you don't know. And I feel like that in my life, a lot of times I'm so much better off with the Lord that I realize if I wasn't so arrogant, then I wouldn't be before the Lord demanding that I have an understanding of why he did what he did. Because if he said, sit down, and then he took the pulpit and began to explain it. Why do I think that I could understand that? My mind is finite, and he is infinite. So I'm trying to learn, and I haven't got this yet. I'm asking you all to go on a journey with me. I'm trying to learn to trust the Lord even when I don't understand everything about it and ultimately believe that he does understand that he does know, and that he really is doing a good job with his universe. And if I can grasp that, then all of a sudden I can say, you know what? I don't have to always worry about every turn in the road. I can just worry about driving. And I'm going to worry about staying in my lane. And I'm going to worry about stopping at my stop sign. And I'm going to pay attention to what God's given me to do. And if I do that, that's going to be the way that I develop real true biblical wisdom let's pray together lord i thank you for your word and i thank you for how you're teaching me lord i thank you that in my foolishness you've been patient and you continue to be and i thank you lord that that your word helps us i thank you god that even though we can't completely understand everything that god you've allowed us to know you and you do understand everything so help us to trust you in that Lord, help us to understand our own finitude and understand that we're so limited. But God, we want to trust you. We want to know you. We want to love you. We want to fear God and we want to obey his commands. The sole duty of command, help us, Lord. We can't do that if you don't help us. So, Lord, we ask for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. So glad to have you tonight. I uh, hope you have a great rest of your week. Be sure to make the contacts uh, that you got out front. Pick up a prayer sheet. Uh, continue reading. We'll be off next week, uh, next Wednesday night, um, because Thanksgiving is next Thursday, but come back and we will continue our study together immediately after Thanksgiving.